Hello, everyone, and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. My name is Jake Watroba, and on today's episode, we look at the recent transfer deals of young Americans within MLS and discuss if the league is finally embracing being a seller's league. Plus, we talk about forgotten men's national team striker Josh Sargent and his outlook moving forward with Werder Bremen and beyond. Listeners, follow the show on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. We always enjoy your feedback and comments, so continue to send them in. And we would love it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get to today's episode. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Justin, it's you and I tonight. No Steven Jodoran. We gave him the night off, supposedly. Um, how's it going? How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm getting by like everybody else uh, with class and everything. So, um, you know, the day's moving. Just trying to keep busy. Uh, nothing too exciting. Nothing. So not, nothing crazy happening at Seton Hall. No, uh, I, I suppose it's COVID. So I there's mean, no, there's no parties. There's nothing like that to do. Oh no, never. Of course not. Um, <laughs> we actually just had, <laughs> we actually just had two more people test positive for COVID. So that, that's great. But um, I do my my classes online, so I don't I don't associate with those who are kind of running around South Orange and uh, spreading the virus unnecessarily. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, hey. You know, to each stone, I guess. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, listeners, we have a pack show. I don't know if that's the, if that's the word I would use to describe this show, but we have a show planned for you uh, tonight. We're going to talk a little MLS, and we'll even talk a little U.S. men's national team. Now, listeners, if you haven't done so yet, please make sure you follow the show on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Send in your comments, your questions your feedback. We always enjoy reading that and interacting with you there. And it would mean the world to us if you would leave us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast and subscribe. We would absolutely love that. So, Justin, let's talk a little MLS. We have some transfer news to talk about. Uh, some things happened last week. Um, mm-hmm. Philadelphia Union's Brennan Aronson uh, is going to RB Salzburg on a $6 million transfer with the potential of the deal reaching $9 million. Now, if memory serves me correctly, I believe this is the highest transfer fee paid to an MLS club for an MLS Academy product. Yeah, I mean, I know it's, I don't know. I think this tops Tyler, I, I believe this tops Tyler Adams. I think Tyler Adams was 5 mil. Oh, 100%. No, Tyler Adams was, I don't even think it was half of $6 million, uh, just because it was literally money going from one pocket to the other. Um, but that's a different point. Anyway, but yeah, this is this is huge uh, in terms of the valuation of 
products from MLS academies and just products in general from MLS. Um, Miguel Almarone's transfer to Newcastle set the precedent for seasoned players that were doing well in MLS. Um, but Aronson's transfer here has set a precedent, and Reggie Cannon's to an extent has set a precedent um, of what European clubs should expect to pay as of right now for prospects out of MLS, um, which is good because clubs deserve to be uh, reimbursed for you know the young players they're producing. Yeah, and it's definitely a step in the right direction for MLS. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, later in the show here. But more on Aronson. He will stay with Union uh, through this uh, th- through the remainder of the MLS season, which then he will join uh, Salzburg and Jesse Marsh um, later on this winter. Now, another, another transfer news. It's not a transfer yet. Sounds like it's maybe already agreed upon. But uh, we do have a report from Matt Doyle on Extra Time Radio that New York Red Bulls attacking midfielder Caden Clark has a clause in his contract that will see him move to RB Leipzig in 2022. Now, Justin, you're actually the resident uh, Red Bull fan on this podcast. (laughs) You are actually heartbroken a little bit that you will maybe only get a season of Caden Clark uh, before he heads off to Europe. Yeah, and I think it's a product of just the attention that's on American players now. With Tyler Adams, it was like we got to see him make his debut in that game against Chelsea. He got a season in USL where he won a USL title. Um, then he had 2017 and 2018 with the team with the first team. Um, so we really got to see him like kind of grow up and develop into the player that he is or he was when he left for Leipzig. Um, I think sentimentally Caden Clark will still have a place in like Red Bull fans' hearts. Um, even though he's not a true Academy kid, we did get him from the residency Academy, uh, in Arizona. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's a shame we won't be able to see him just kind of do some amazing stuff that he's done so far since he's made his debut and, and made his th- first three appearances for the club. Um, yeah, you know, what, have, what, what have what's I guess while we're talking about Caden Clark, what's been your biggest takeaway from him so far? He's played what three matches? I believe he's got two goals to uh, to his name. What what has stood out the most to you uh, just in the short time that he's been with uh, the, the Red Bull senior team? I I think this is a weird thing to like to enjoy about a player, but for Caden Clark, for whatever reason, the <laughs> just the way that he checks his shoulders and is like constantly checking his shoulders um, just always stands out for some reason when I watch him play um, because it's such a basic skill set that coaches teach kids at every age to do. Um, But you don't ever really check for it in professionals or like really care to look for it in professionals. And he just does it really well. And when he does it, it opens up space. Like you can see, like if you're trying to tell you, like if you're a youth coach and you're trying to tell your kid, like you need to check your shoulder and you're trying to show them why, like I would show them compilations of Caden Clark because it's like he checks his shoulder and then there's like an instant result after he does it because then he finds this pocket of space that he can move into or he knows where a defender is so he can play a ball first time into a teammate that's making a run or just into a teammate into, into a better position, um, which I think is like a very underrated, I guess, skill to, to assess. Um, my one criticism of him was his finishing in USL because 
he did have a hard time in front of goal, and now he scored two bangers in three games. So soccer's crazy, and I absolutely, I clearly, I know nothing if, if that's it's, how it came out. <laughs> it's a it's a silly old game, soccer. Uh, let me ask you this: as a U.S. men's national team fan, is there enough room in the U.S. national team midfield for a Caden Clark? You got Gio Reyna tearing it up for Dortmund, Weston McKinney playing at Juventus, Tyler Adams, another one. I feel like I'm forgetting somebody else. Caden Clark, obviously, is going to be a name uh, to watch in that men's national team. Brendan Aronson, I mean, that's another guy we're going to have to look more so please so uh, on the outside there. But <laughs> is there going to be a spot for Caden Clark in that midfield there, especially with Gio Reyna kind of showing out for Dortmund? Yeah, I mean, it's tough for him personally. I mean, as a U.S. fan, like, I'm ecstatic that we have this many options and that that's the headache we have in terms of choosing um, – you know, the best player that the best three players that fit into that midfield. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see how Burhalter like lines up his midfield. Cause I know there's a lot of talk about him wanting a player in the Jackson Ewell role where he sits between the two center backs and plays long balls. And then there's two eights in front of him that do all the, the busy work. Or there's like the more traditional three man midfield where you have a 10, a six and an eight. Um, I think he, is a 10 and will grow to be a 10. Um, but he also has like the defensive work rate and mm. the pressing ability of an eight in the sense that he could play in, in that eight role and do the defensive job that he needs to, but he's also going to want to be a creative spark for the United States national team. And it's interesting. Cause like a lot of people criticize McKenney because he does a lot of the ball winning or he who wins the ball really, really well. That he does really well in, in, in his part of the game. It's just that when he wants to do the extra step and then also be that creative player, people get frustrated because then he makes weird passes or makes the wrong decision going forward, and you're frustrated because that maybe isn't his strong suit. And with Clark, you have a player who's good at both. And he may not be good at as good at winning the ball from McKenney, but he does it well enough to where he could start for the men's national team. And he's already better than him creatively so then you like you're wondering does he take McKenney's spot then because he can do a good enough job defensively and a better job going forward or do you just prefer McKenney because you know you're getting a defensive player who can do the job there um I don't know there's I don't, I don't think he's gonna break into the men's national team right away but you know like you said soccer's funny little game yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if actually – I know you just said you wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't shock me if he gets uh, if he gets a call up here. Look, I, I, don't, and I don't know. We were playing – well, we have a friendly in November. We have a couple friendlies in November. I think it's uh, Wales and Ireland, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, at Unc Sam Soccer Pod. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me here maybe next summer if he gets a call up. Um or something to that effect during kind of like a random one-off, a uh, couple friendlies here or there. But uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Like you said, it's, it's almost an, it feels kind of weird to say this as a U.S. men's national team fan, an embarrassment of riches in the midfield right now. Uh, you have to be excited about that. Uh, now, Justin, I wanted to ask you this, because I saw on Twitter. Now, uh, folks, if you do not follow Justin, that's at Justin Sosa 99 You had kind of went back and forth a little bit uh, on Twitter. MLS uh, put out their top 22 under 22. You made your list. You said, I disagree with some of these picks, uh, you know, 22 through 11. And with the players like Aronson, like uh, Caden Clark, and even Reggie Cannon that you mentioned uh, earlier, 
with them making the jumps to Europe or the eventual jump to Europe, I wanted to ask you, which American players in MLS right now do you think are are next to make that jump to Europe? I mean, I, we know Joe Scali from NYCFC is, is going to Mönchengladbach after this year. Um, you and I talked off the podcast about like how ridiculous it is that he's kind of just sat on the bench for an entire year as opposed to playing with like an under 23 squad or just training with much and glad back. Um, but like, he's, he's already been set in stone for a while. Um, I know there's reports now we'll talk about this in a little bit about Cole Bassett. Um, Mark McKenzie is definitely, I, I mean, I feel like he has to be the, the next one out, um, especially because of just how much attention he got from Celtic or so, you know, rumored attention he got from Celtic. Um, I would imagine he's on the way out. Um, God, I don't know. There's just so many like kids to pick from at this point that they're like on the edge of potentially going to Europe, but like still kind of in that MLS category. Um, you'd have to think, well, Jordan, he's not a young American, but like the rumors of Jordan Morris going to Europe now are kind of, are kind of popping oh, up again. You're going to fill me on these rumors. Cause I, I, I want to hear these rumors. Give me, give me, give me oh. a spicy Jordan Morris to Europe rumor right now. There's no, I haven't read any specific clubs, but it's it's definitely like Bundesliga clubs are interested in looking at him. And I think what he's like 25, 26 now. At that age, you know, he earns his starting role in a Bundesliga team within two years. You can't tell me that between the age of 27 and 30 that he's not going to improve astronomically. Like, yes, that's his peak, but like his peak at starting at a Bundesliga club. And now you have another argument as to whether, you know, he's starting on the wing or somebody a little bit younger than him is starting on the wing for the men's national team. Tyler Boyd um, or something like that. It, well, not even Tyler Boyd. I mean, like he at that point, like, you know, obviously the, the futures of like Christian Pulisic, Timothy Weah, Gio Reyna all kind of play a factor into it. But if if Morris goes to like, I don't know, uh, a Wolfsburg or a Mönchengladbach, like a team that's fighting for a European spot in the Bundesliga. And by 27, he is their outright starter. He's producing goals and assists for them. You know, yes, he's not 19, 18 years old, but he's producing at a high level and he's continuing that that argument and that fight that he should be the one starting on the wing as opposed to other players. And I know there's going to be comments like that Pulisic and, and, and Reyna and Wea have qualities that Morris will never develop. And that's true. There's just certain aspects of his game that, won't get to the same point as those three or any other wingers specifically. But there's also parts of his game that he can contribute to the men's national team that will only get better by the increased competition. I I just, yeah. But <laughs> we kind of straight away from who was going to Europe. No, but, no, no um, that's, that's interesting. He, I, no, I think the Jordan Morris talk actually is very interesting just because that, to me, that's completely out of left field. And I almost feel like that's, in a way, a vindication for Jordan Morris after the... He, he he breaks down with the national team. He then decides he's going to go to Seattle. There's the jokes made, and we've made him several times in this podcast. I've made him every chance I can actually get about the puppy scenario. Um, and, and for me, look, like you said, if it's him going to a club like Wolfsburg, yeah, it's not Chelsea. Yeah, it's not Dortmund or uh, Juventus or Name a club where any other U.S. men's national team, like young star kid, uh, starlets, playing at right now. Uh, but 
I think for, for a national team perspective, if he goes to Wolfsburg and he's, like you said, the outright starter at 27 and he puts in three, four years there. I mean, look, if Jordan Morris at, at the peak of his game, 2026, 20, I'd put him at he'd be 31 years old going into that World Cup. I mean, you got to – we're going to talk about this a little bit later too. Uh, you're looking pretty good at forward, Pulisic, Morris, Reyna in the midfield, Adams – wherever he's going to be at in six years from now. I mean, he could be playing at a – I don't Leipzig's still a big club, but he could be potentially playing in a bigger club. I mean, you and I have different definitions of big clubs. Uh, we've had this conversation too. I thought, what if, you know, Tyler Adams goes to a club like Tottenham or Arsenal? To me, I think that's a bigger club. For you, you don't because they're not consistently playing Champions League football like Leipzig appears to be playing. But – it uh, you have to feel pretty good about the national team if you have Jordan Morris starting at Wolfsburg or some a club to that level rather than Jordan Morris killing an MLS. So you know I, I, I yeah Jordan Morris completely out of left field, but it's a good development for MLS. And what I want to talk about too, another player in MLS, and you alluded to it too, uh, Cole Bassett. According to our friend Tom Bogert at MLSsoccer.com, Colorado Rapid Cole Bassett has received interest from Europe, uh, citing clubs like Hoffenheim and Freiburg in Germany and Swissside. Now, Stephen, you're going to kill me when you listen back to this because I'm not going to say this well. Swissside FC Lausanne Sport. I, I'm sorry, Stephen. And Austrian club Rapid Vienna. Now, Colorado Rapids GM and Executive Vice President acknowledged to Bogert that they've, they they have received interest abroad from the young American. Uh, he uh, Padridge Smith went on to say, "We've had offers for Cole in the past from European clubs, but we didn't feel they matched our valuation for Cole, and we feel Cole's progression as a player was best served here. We think." Cole's performances this year is further evidence that he can further develop under coach Robin Frazier. So Justin, and this goes for our listeners too, question of the day. Is MLS starting to turn into a selling league? Is this what we've been waiting for? We've talked about this, I feel like, for the last couple of years, if you're an MLS fan, is is, is MLS kind of accepted that to progress in in world football or to have a better holding in world football, do you need to become a selling league? Do you, do you feel like the, the, the league is kind of acknowledged as such that, hey, we can sell on our best talent and, and it's everything's going to be okay? People aren't going to stop watching if Miguel Miron goes to Newcastle United? Yeah, and I think – so here's my thing. I think the league has met – has met the standard in terms of bringing players who aren't American, so young South Americans like Al Marone, into the league, letting them do their thing for like a year or two here, showcasing them essentially to European clubs, and then selling them off for a profit. I think they've checked that box off. They're now starting to check the box off where they can produce their own talent, like a Reggie Cannon, uh, like a Brendan Aronson, like a Tyler Adams, ship them off to Europe for a profit, and have them succeed. Not ha- not Not and I hate to use it because I, I love Matt Miazga, but not to produce a Matt Miazga, sell him on to Chelsea, and then have him just be loaned out for four or five years. But here's the thing. They're going with, to... with the Matt Miazga thing, though, this is the thing you can't be afraid of, though. For every Christian – okay, that's not even to say Christian Pulisic. For every 
Weston McKenney, and he wasn't even sold on either. <laughs> Damn it, I'm, I keep I, I keep screwed up names here. For every time you sell a Miguel Miron or something like that, there's going to be Matt Miazgas. There's going to be yeah. there's going to be guys who are duds. I mean that's that that, that just that, that comes with the territory, right? Not every yeah, player you send to Europe is going to be is going to be Gio Reyna. Yeah, that's that's a given, and I just think I think because MLS has hit a good run of form in terms of selling players and having them hit helps their stature among you know the global soccer market. Because I mean, even the Netherlands, where people shop from often, Depay was a flop at Man United, and you know they still buy from the Netherlands. They still go to the Netherlands because they know they can produce good players. That that Depay situation was just um, you know a one off. And I think we're getting to that with homegrowns who are coming through the academy, again, playing a year or two with the first team and then being sold off at 18, 19, 20 years old, or 21, 22 with Reggie Cannon's case. But, you know, he came into the first team a little bit later. And, and, and not to harp on Jordan Morris anymore, but I think the next step in terms of being a selling league is then showing that you are capable of taking a player like Jordan Morris, who was a diamond in the rough when he came out of college and joined uh, Seattle, developing them into a good quality player, one of the best players within MLS itself, and then potentially selling them off for a profit and having them play their glory years and their prime years in Europe, but also doing well there. We haven't seen that often in MLS. And and if it has happened, we've, we've lost track of those players because we're not interested and players who are, and I use middle age in terms of soccer age, not middle age like a 50-year-old, but <laughs> middle age in this sport where they get sold off at 25, 26 years old to a European team, um, and then we just don't care because they're not young. They're not this this exciting prospect. But I think if Morris's sale goes through, to a, given if there is a, you know, a sale to be made, if he is sold off, and like we said, if he excels at whatever team he goes to that's playing at a high enough level, that then opens the doors for players like Chris Mueller to then have a season like he's having now, you know, build off of it next year and then potentially get sold off by Orlando to a European team. Um, and there's plenty of players who come out of the Super Draft and players that come out of MLS academies who have that reputation. Like an Anthony Fontana. Fontana, you know, debuted for the union at like 18, 19 years old, and then just went quiet for two years. And now he's back scoring six goals just out of nowhere. He's not a player that's going to be sold off in his teenage years. He had to wait a little bit longer for his opportunity. But because Brendan Aronson is now on his way out, that that position opens up, Fontana can fill it, and if he performs well next year at 22 years old, he gets sold off like Cannon did. And it's, it's just about showing that even if a player doesn't hit the mark immediately out of the gates regardless of whether they're a foreign player or out of the academy we can still show that we can develop a player at any point in their career and sell them onto europe and have them do well and i think that middle-aged mark is where we need to hit next if we're going to be a bona fide selling league that's an interesting point yeah you make there is is getting guys who are 24 25 years old having them develop an mls and then getting them over to Europe, like you said, to clubs that are like Wolfsburg or, I don't know, uh, a mid-table Premier League club, like uh, like a Newcastle United. Now, Malgal Miron wasn't 25 years old when he went there, but 
you get what I'm saying here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that is the, the next progression for MLS. And I, I do think they are embracing the, the idea of they need to sell players and, you know, to make money uh, as well. You need to, you know, your most marketable players, it's, it's okay. It's okay to get it. It's a new phenomenon. If you look at it from a, from a U.S. pro sports landscape, there's the NFL, Major League Baseball, NHL, NBA, the NBA isn't LeBron James isn't getting sold to Fenerbahce's basketball team in Turkey. You know what I mean? Like that's not happening. Yeah, that's that doesn't that doesn't happen. Maybe the only time it ever anything close to that happens is when the you have an NBA team who selects some kid out of you know I shouldn't even say some kid. It's usually some 25, 26 year old kid, out of, a guy out of Olympiacos, some six eleven center, and then they had to. They always say like buy him out of his con- of his contract, which is basically they're just paying the transfer fee to get him to come to the NBA. That's the only time you ever see anything like that in sports in this country. Um, you don't you don't see it that way around. You, like I said, you don't see LeBron James getting sold to the Barcelona or Real Madrid. Um, mm-hmm. You saw uh, Luka Doncic get sold. Well, I don't know if he was sold from Real Madrid, but he left Real Madrid to come to the Dallas Mavericks. So, right. Like, it was just the other way around. Yeah, it's the other way around. You don't ever. Actually, I take that back. Major League Baseball, you do see that. You do see them selling players to Korea or Japan, but it's players no one cares about. It's your seventh starter. Your, your The second starter on a AAA is getting sold to some team in the, the KBO. But I think it's a new phenomenon that American owners haven't really grasped because it's not something that's been in American sports. And I think the moment that they ha- they decide to to embrace it, and lean into it, and just let it happen. I think it it's it's it, it it's better for MLS. And like you said, I think the next step in that progression is getting a guy like Jordan Morris. If he wants to go to Europe, he's the face of MLS. He's one of the faces of MLS. Get him over to Europe if he wants to go to Europe. That's okay. Sell him. It's fine. And I I, I mean I fully support that. I think that uh, that's something that MLS needs to do. Uh, look, look into doing next. But. Uh, Justin, before we uh, before we wrap things up here, I wanted to talk about uh, to keep it with the national team with the Jordan Morris discussion. I want to talk about a different national team player. I want to talk about Josh Sargent. Now, our friend Joseph Lowry uh, had an interesting Twitter thread this past weekend. We are recording this Wednesday night. Uh, Joseph Lowry said this on October seventeenth. I believe that was Saturday about Josh Sargent. At Verder Bremen, uh, Joe wrote, Verder Bremen must have given Josh Sargent and his agent some pitch. I genuinely love to know if there were other factors besides playing time and playing in the Bundesliga that made Sargent and Co. sign on the dotted line. Because he's the forgotten American in Europe right now. Sargent is probably going to be fine, but it's kind of a bummer thinking about him in the context of all the successful American abroad stories right now and Justin I mean I'm gonna be honest with you I forget about Josh Sargent a lot he isn't there's it nothing positive ever really happens as it relates to Josh Sargent in Europe you don't ever you don't ever hear about him you see if you follow the Bundesliga English Twitter account you see the Werder Bremen starting lineup go out you go oh Josh Sargent's playing and then that's the that's the first and the last time you think about Josh Sargent on the weekend and I guess I want to ask you, as a national team fan, 
I mean, should we be, should we be concerned about Sargent uh, right now at Werder Bremen and as it relates to the na- men's national team? I that's hard. Like to be concerned about him, I at this point I would say yes because we were anticipating that because now he was getting this starting role and he was going to be the man for Werder Bremen. Um, he'd obviously have more opportunity in front of net to score goals and, and, you know, to be a productive forward, even for uh, an objectively bad team in the Bundesliga. But now, you know, there, there comes a point where the team is so bad, where it drags individual player qualities down. And while Josh Sargent may show these little flashes of of qualities that we want to see in our center forward and like, whether it be his hold up play, whether it be his ability to, you know, link with teammates um, whatever the case may be, find space, stuff like that. Well, there may be flashes of that. If I feel like for a player, if, if they're not, if they're not getting results from doing those little things correctly, then mentally there's something that says, if this, if, if I'm not scoring, if this isn't happening, it, it must be what I'm doing. And then they start to overthink their movements and then they start to overthink what they're doing. And that's when a player starts to deteriorate as an individual. And yeah, you can, you can say Josh Sargent knows he's in a bad team, that he's not going to blame himself. But truth be told, unless you have some type of elite mentality, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who is just on a different planet when it comes to believing in himself and knowing that he is a quality player, not saying that Josh Sargent doesn't believe in himself to be a quality player. It's just that those little mental things take bigger hits on a player's confidence that I think people are, are realizing. And Personally, I would have much rather have seen Sargent have been moved on by Werder Bremen, some other team, sold on for like, uh, you know, I just, I just don't think that this is the right situation for him anymore. That it was fine last year, you know, that he was getting his moments here and there and trying to help them survive relegation, but at this point, I think he needs to take a step up to a team that is not only competitive in the players that it has but competitive in the league that it's playing in because otherwise, you know, you're not, you're not going to advance the player at all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think there should be a little bit of worry right now for Josh Sargent. Now it's funny you talk about Werder Bremen in that context of you know, competing or, you know, competing within the league or fighting off relegation. I mean, I'm looking at the table right now in the Bundesliga, they're seventh, they're seventh in the Bundesliga table. Um, they're six points, below the drop in Germany. Um, but, I mean, from like you're saying and what I've read about Werder Bremen, it, it, it sounds as though they there, there's no, there's no, God, I don't, I'm not sure how to really say this. It's like the attacking side of the ball, it, it, they don't, they don't try to attack. There's nothing about, there's, there's, just, there's just nothing about anything they do that would, help Sargent's development. And I we talked about this off mic, but I almost wonder if a move to the Netherlands, a t- or, or a league that there's more of an emphasis on, on, on attacking style, there's not as much emphasis on the defensive side of the ball, if that would be better for Josh Sargent's long-term development. Yeah, and I, I, I like the caveat that their two wins so far this season have been over Schalke, who is probably the only team that is worse than Werder Bremen, I think, in terms of style of play this season. Um, 
they beat Schalke and they beat Armenia Bielefeld, who is another team that's probably going to com- be competing to stay above the drop. Um, when they played a competent team like Hertz of Berlin, they lost 4-1, and then they tied 1-1 with SC Freiburg. So, yeah, solid start to the season, but I I just like to point out like those two wins aren't necessarily great in the <laughs> in the grand scheme. Of hey, things. you can only um, beat who's in front of you. You can only beat who's in front of you. Yeah, exactly. But like, and listen, if if Werder Bremen are you know competitive in whatever way by playing this incredibly unattractive style of soccer, then so be it. I just don't see how Josh Sargent develops in a team like that, that there is no consistent flow of shooting opportunities and goal-scoring opportunities from their team. As far as him going to a team in the Netherlands, for example, like, yeah, I would be fully behind him going to a team that is going to supply him with some form of consistent goal-scoring opportunities or shooting. Because at that point, you can say to yourself, I am getting the opportunities. Like, I am making the right moves. I'm putting myself in the right spots, and the ball is finding my feet. If the ball is not hitting the back of the net at that point, then that's on you to improve your finishing. That's on you to get better as as a forward whose job it is to score goals. And so it's just it's just this weird thing where it's like all those little things that he does well needs to need to be rewarded by his teammates finding him with good service. And then it's that final step of actually scoring where he can say, This is where I need to improve. He 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 won't be in two minds of is it me not making the right movements or is it my teammates not finding my movements? Um, I, I, I would be, I would be okay with him going to like an Ajax or a PSV or a Feyenoord. I think that's a step up from Verda Bremen. There are teams who are actually competing to play in Europe who actually do play in Europe actually, um, and compete for league titles. Um, but you know, uh, that's just that's just my opinion. Obviously, mm. you talked me out of the idea that him going to the Netherlands would be like a bad, a bad move. I guess I was more so thinking if he went to the, to the Netherlands, it'd be for like a mid-table club in the Eredivisie. But yeah, and and that and that I feel like it would be a sideways move then from Verdebrim. Like there would be no point to that if he was going to one of the top dogs in in the Netherlands. Then yeah, it's it's worth it because that service is going to be consistently coming to him. But yeah, like a, a mid-table team in the Netherlands would just be a sideways move, in my opinion. Even if they're a team that doesn't want to hunker down constantly and play unattractive football, soccer. Sorry. I mean, yeah, I guess. But like, when it comes down to it, when you know, if he goes to like, I don't know, what's like a Vitesse or a Groningen, right? These are teams that like occasionally fight for Europe, try and get those Europa League spots. But like when it comes to playing Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, are they really going to take the ball and control the game? No. And like no team is expected to do that against every single player they or every single team they play against. That's reserved for like the elite of the elite. Um, but I just like I don't know. I ju- I don't watch the Eredivisie often, so I wouldn't be able to to talk on style of play. But just in competitiveness, like I'd rather him if you were to go to the Netherlands to play for one of those top three or four teams. Hmm. Well, there you have it, folks. Ajax, Feyenoord, who was the other one you said? PSV? Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, like I, Josh starting for me, like I said, I see the tweet go out. I see his name in the starting lineup for Werder Bremen. That's the only time I ever think of Josh Sargent in the weekend. I've said it before in a previous episode. 
Gio Reyna, for me, is cleared out the schedule. I'm going to try to watch at least a half of Bruce Dortmund. I want to watch Bruce Dortmund. Or even even Tyler Adams. I'll watch Leipzig. But I couldn't give a uh, you-know-what about watching Werder Bremen and Josh Sargent. It does nothing for me. Um, and it's like Joseph Lowry said, it's uh, – it's too bad. He's he is, and he plays probably the position people probably care about the most. That you want to see a goal scorer if you're a soccer fan, or you know, even for the casuals, like seeing guys banging goals. I mean, that gets people excited. And when you're the striker of the national team and you're relied to score goals, and you're not doing that at the club level, it's hard for fans really to get excited about the prospect of you doing that for the national team. So hopefully, Josh Sargent figures it out, or hopefully, Werder Bremen figures it out, or you know, something happens with him because, you know, for, for me, I feel like he is probably one of the most important pieces for the national team here going forward over the next couple of World Cups uh, uh, just because striker depth, I mean, it's not they're, not, they're not the deepest at striker at behind Sargent. And unless you want to rely on Josie Altador some more or Josie Zardes, it starts to get pretty thin uh, after, after those, after those two. But, uh, Anyway, that is it for today's show. You can follow the show on Twitter at UncSamSoccerPod. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, send in your feedback, your thoughts. We always appreciate that. And listeners, let us know your thoughts on the question of the day. Is MLS turning into a selling league? Again, at UncSamSoccerPod. You can follow my co-host, Justin Sosa, at JustinSosa99. You can follow myself, at Jake Watroba. And don't forget... You can follow Stephen Jodoran at Stephen Jodoran. For Justin, I'm Jake. We'll talk to you guys next time. Deuces.